Hope that you'll pray for us this morning, that the Lord will bless us uh, during this time of service and worship uh, as we gather together here this morning. So, uh, hope you will be praying for me. And uh, as if you've been here lately, uh, you know that we have been looking uh, originally at the subject of election, uh, but going from Ephesians chapter 1 to Romans chapter 8, and uh, really locked in and realized that there's some things about election taught in Romans 8, 9, and so once I said did that, I said, well, you know, you need to just go ahead and look at Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11, uh, and look through those things, and uh, had somebody tell me uh, back some time ago, well, without telling telling who and what, so but not someone of the church said, you know, nobody ever preaches on Romans 8, 9, and, 8, 9, and 10, or 11, or whatever, and I'm thinking, well... Uh, they just haven't been around lately is all I could say. So uh, as we look at this this morning, uh, we will be uh, turning, the, turning the page beginning really with the, the portion of preaching we're going to do is specifically in Romans chapter 11. Uh, but as I have done before, trying to make sure uh, that all of us, you know, it's, it's, it's good for me, I think, and it, I hopefully, hopefully it's good for you, that as we try to put the book of Romans into a context of what is, he, what is Paul teaching? You know, because uh, I know I've heard so much preaching over the years, and I'm sure you've heard uh, preaching over the years where you'll dive into Romans 8.28 or Romans uh, 8.31 or just, you know, to Romans 9 and various verses. And uh, But what was Paul trying to teach in this letter that he was writing to the church at Rome? And again, you know, you go back and look at all this, and, and you see a lesson being taught over and over again uh, of one, Paul had a desire to come and to preach to those people that were at Rome, uh, and that, uh, uh, that he wanted them to know that the gospel is the power of God to God's people, to the saved. Uh, power of God unto salvation is the way the uh, the King James words it. Uh, but I'll just say that the gospel is the power of God to God's saved people. And uh, so the gospel gives you and I a power that we don't have otherwise, a, a strength that we don't have otherwise, a knowledge that we don't have otherwise. And Paul, I think, particularly in writing to the Roman letter, was trying to address to the church at Rome uh, and let them see that uh, God has a people both among the Jews and among the Greeks, uh, and he has so uh, Jew and Gentile. Uh, and uh, he makes this great point, you know, going through Romans 3 and 4, talking about Abraham, their, their father, how that Abraham was blessed to come to belief uh, and, and had faith and came to belief in God and, and showed his belief in God while he was yet without circumcision. So he's making a point to the, uh, to the Jewish brethren at Rome that uh, Abraham was still really a Gentile, uh, that the nation of Israel didn't come along until uh, Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel by God. God called him Israel. And so then uh, the nation of Israel then comes forth from him and Jacob's 12 sons. Uh, and so were the tribes of Israel. Uh, and so he, he's making this whole point that God has a people among both Jew and Gentile and that it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and by his grace. We're not justified by our our faith, at least in an eternal sense, but our faith does declare us just before those that are around about us. And it also talks about the fact, uh, uh, talking about our faith, that 
Paul, that, uh, Paul writing this Roman letter talks about Abraham's faith and how Abraham's faith and belief in God was reckoned or accounted unto Abraham for righteousness. So uh, there's this whole theme of the fact that there was a righteousness or a blessing given to Abraham because of Abraham's belief. That starts a whole other line of thinking in Paul's writing here and telling them you're blessed in belief. Uh, should you continue in sin, if you know that you're justified by the grace of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ, should you continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. Okay, but does it mean there won't be struggles? Romans 7 tells us there's going to be struggles. Uh, as long as you have a spiritual man and a fleshly man, a natural man living in the same house with each other, there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be this struggle of just daily living, trying to do the right thing. Paul, I think, and probably one of the greatest lessons of all says, I struggle with this. You know, how, what a better, you know, for, even for us today, we go back and we look at the Apostle Paul. Maybe I do. I, I think you do too. I, I, you know, you look back at those great men of faith and say, Oh man, they were just great, so such great saints and just live this great life, you know, and, and they didn't struggle with the things that we do. And Paul says, well, I hate to tell you, but yeah, I struggle with the same stuff that you struggle with. I struggle with staying on the right track. And then he begins to tell us in Romans 8, the way you overcome this is you lean to the Spirit. You, you think spiritual things. Stay in the Spirit. Don't, don't be thinking about the carnal mind and the worldly things. And that will help you overcome this. Right on into Romans 8 then it tells us, you know, about how we're, you know, that whom God did for, you know, the, the, the elect, the predestined, the called, the justified, the glorified. These are never going to be lost from God's love. The, the, God's love will never be lost on them. Uh, so then you move right on over into Romans 9. Romans 9 begins to tell us about how God especially showed his election through two sons, uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. And he says, Jacob, he loved Esau. He didn't love, and, and, uh, and he says this, these two boys represent the God's purpose and election. Uh, and then he goes right on and talks about how uh, the Jews, you know, uh, how the, the, the struggle then that they have uh, in, in, uh, in, in coming to Christ and, and to coming to belief and so forth. And Paul, Paul makes this comment in, in the beginning of Romans 10 where we started last week and said, you know what? My brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. And he says in Romans 9, he had even said he had wished that he could be accursed from Christ for his kinsman's sake. Now, he's not talking about uh, the fact that his kinsmen, uh, that there are no uh, redeemed, no saved, no elect among his kinsmen. He, but what he desires for his kinsmen is that his kinsmen might have the same thing that he has in coming to know the Messiah. They've been looking for the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Christ to come for years and years and hoping and looking and reading all these prophecies. And Paul has been blessed by his uh, encounter on the road to Damascus uh, and in other ways to come to see Jesus Christ is the Messiah. 
And now, now Paul's trying to write down to the Roman brethren. He says, my desire for all of my Jewish kinsmen and brethren is that they might have the same belief and salvation that I have through that belief. Uh, and he says, so his brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And they, they going about to establish their own righteousness. If you, could, if you could go, if you could read this yourself sometimes, go back and look at the whole issues in Romans chapter 4 where he's talking about if it's by works or maybe even uh, uh, as we get on over here into 11 a little bit, but how he talks about you can't establish this righteousness that we seek a lot of times by what you do. It's a blessing and a gift that comes from God. And he says, you know, they've been going about to establish their own righteousness. That doing that, they've not submitted themselves to the righteousness that comes from God. And he says, uh, uh, he said, but if they'll just confess with their mouth uh, and believe with their hearts that, that God has raised them from the dead, they shall be saved. And, and again, this whole thing is not talking about saved to go to heaven it's talking about a salvation that comes from the knowledge and knowing and believing of Jesus Christ here in this world. Paul wanted the Jews to know and have the same deliverance. That word salvation basically means deliverance. He wanted them to have the same deliverance that he had gotten. Look at, look at Paul's life when he was Saul. He was a, he was a keep the law guy every, every day and he was going around rounding people up and bringing them back to Jerusalem to be killed. What a happy life. Right? I mean, uh, now having come to know that the Messiah's come, the Savior's come, that we've been delivered from, from all of that by the grace of God and the mercy of God, Paul had this great big burden lifted off of his shoulder that he was trying to go around and keep the law, do all the things just right. And he, every time he failed, he condemned himself to thinking, oh my goodness, I failed again. I'm not going to, to make it. I'm not going to get there. And, and suddenly to know that it's by the blood of Jesus Christ and it's by His grace. And now Paul's like, I want to do good, but if I mess up every now and then, I'm, I'm not condemned because I've messed up. And boy, that gave him such a relief and such a, uh, a salvation, a, such a deliverance that he wanted his brethren, his Jewish brethren to have the same thing. And he said, if they could just believe and see and confess, God would deliver them from this. And uh, so he says, for with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Uh, for the scripture saith, and, and the whole purpose, why would it be good to confess? Why would it be good to do that publicly? Because the Bible says that whoever confesses uh, Jesus is the Christ, he said, we're not to be ashamed. We're to confess that publicly. We're to let our neighbors know. We're to let our family. I, I am a believer in the Son of God. Uh, in, in times gone by, you'd say, well, everybody knows that. You go to church on Sunday, right? Well, yeah, but, you know, maybe more by the way we live. And maybe more by the way what we say and how we act and what we do. We actually demonstrate that we're followers of Jesus Christ. We're disciples and followers of Him by what we say and what we believe. And, and Paul says, you know what? There, confess this. Believe this. Confess this. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's good for you. He says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what? We need a deliverance that comes, a freedom that comes. I've seen this personally among people that uh, that I've seen 
the, what, do you, what do you call the bitch clinchers or whatever? I've seen the bitch clinchers before, you know, that hang on to the bench for years and years and don't want to come up and join the church. And suddenly when they finally get the whatever, you know, the, you know, the, the spirit moves them, they, they say, today's the day I've got to go up and go forward and go, go join and make my public profession, my public confession that I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then they say, you know what? There was a burden lifted. You know, they tell me afterwards, there was a burden lifted for me. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I've been trying to tell you there would uh, a condemnation and a burden will be lifted from you when you begin to go forward and do what God has called us to do. So uh, that's that's where we are. That's where we've kind of gotten to here in this Roman uh, Roman uh, Roman letter at this point in time. And uh, and Paul is talking about toward the end. Uh, of this of this portion of the tenth chapter, he says, "Did not Israel know? You know, if if you're saying, well, nobody's told us. Well, he says, didn't you know the Old Testament scriptures testified? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I have I was found of them that sought me not." I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. That's verse 20, Romans 10. But to Israel, he saith, all the day long, I've stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying gainsaying people. Can you imagine in your minds, and I'm I'm saying Paul is putting us through the uh, quotations, Old Testament scripture quotations, Paul is putting us in the mind of God, okay? That God says, you know what? I gave my word, my prophets, my commandments, all my, uh, you know, all my worship service. I gave this to you, Israel. And you know what I've gotten from that? I've gotten a rebellious people that go around blaspheming God, chasing after other gods. He said, but I've got a people that I did not give the word to. I didn't give the commandments to. I gave them. I have been found of a people that knew me not. Talking about the Gentile people that came to belief that God, uh, that he didn't send any prophets. There were no preachers. There, were no, there was no Moses in their history. There was no David. There was no Abraham in their history. But they came to believe in the, in the one true and living God anyway. And he says, but you, I've stretched out my hand to you all day long and you've rejected me. You know, today, uh, you say, well, okay, Brother Charles, that's all great history stuff. But what's that got to do with us? Let's look, let's look at America today. Let's look at the United States of America and this nation that was established, uh, whether people want to admit it or not, uh, was established by people that were fleeing for, in many cases... Not every case. You could say, well, okay, the Virginia Company was set up for profit. Uh, Well, yeah, but the Boston colonies and the Plymouth colonies and uh, the Maryland colonies and so many other, they were established looking for a place where they could come worship God without being persecuted. The Baptist brethren that came to Virginia years ago that were persecuted in America, they were fleeing Europe and England where the Baptists were just whipped down, beat down, uh, and, and, and killed on every hand. And they, they came fleeing to America looking for a place to get away from. The pilgrims came looking for a place where they could get away from the persecutions and the troubles that they had been having all these years. So our nation begins, and even the writers, you, you know, I know people contend with this, but you go read the things that the, the constitutional writers and the principles they tried to put in our Constitution, they were trying to set it up and pattern it 
headed after things of, of God's word and God's people and the, the church and things that were established along those lines. Okay, so you put all that in context now and you say, where is America today? <clears throat> what have we done? What have we done with this great blessing, this great nation, this great freedom that God gave us, even worded into our Constitution, the freedom of religion, uh, that, that it was intended for people to have the freedom to worship. It was also intended to have people to have the freedom not to worship. Okay? Uh, but, but particularly that we would have the freedom to worship here if we wanted to in the manner that we wanted to. And, and you say, and, and I'm going to say predominantly by Christian nations, uh, by Christian people. Uh, and now we look at the, the world that we're living in today where our courts are saying, oh, no, wasn't, that wasn't the way that, that wasn't what was intended. Uh, and the things that are becoming uh, legalized by our, uh, by our court rulings, not by our Constitution, but by our court rulings, and our nation is sinking into a mire, okay? And, and I'm not trying to turn this into a political commentary. I'm just trying to say, when you read this book of Romans and you say and you see in here God's telling Paul through the to the right to the Roman Roman church and say listen God has a people among all peoples okay Gentiles Jews uh, you know and as we've said here before blacks whites uh, Asians whatever you know whatever thing you want to think about God has a people among all those and so don't be discriminating against any of those because God has a people among them and God, in fact he was found of those that weren't even seeking after him. And the ones that God gave special blessing to, think of this, think of this, and think of America. Those that he gave special blessing to have rejected him altogether. He said, oh, is that how, is that how this might apply to us? Is that how I can read the book of Romans and suddenly see, oh, this, he's trying to tell us, don't reject me like the Jewish brethren did that I labor. Yes, that's part of what he's trying to tell you. There's blessings in belief. There's blessings in following after God. And so he, he said, I, I've been, uh, you know, I blessed them all down through the years. And the, the children of Israel, even Paul's prayer for his brethren, his kinsmen was, that they might come to believe because there was going to be a blessing, a freedom. You know what? To know today, and I, and I say this to, to this group, little group of folks gathered together this morning here. <clears throat> For us to know that we are saved by the, the blood of Jesus Christ and there's nothing that can take us out of his covenant love for us. Do you realize how much freedom that gives you even as a Christian? And I'm not talking about freedom to go out and do whatever. I'm talking about think of the burden that's lifted off of you and off of your mind. <clears throat> I haven't got to go in the morning and worry about how many people I offended today and make sure I get down to the church and offer so many turtle doves. And uh, make sure I've got my lamb slaughtered and all this stuff to come and bring the blood for the priest. Haven't got to worry about that. I can kneel down on my knees in my room or in my, not in my car, but in my, in my own mind in my car and say, God, forgive me for where I failed you yesterday. Today's a new day. Let me go. Do you realize how much freedom that gives you? And do you realize the freedom even among Christian believing people to know that your salvation is secure? To know that what Christ did was a complete and finished work for, for your redemption to be home with God in heaven. And, and, and I'm, I'm not having to sit here and worry today. 
do, do are, my, are, are my good deeds outweighing my bad deeds? And or did I did I may did I sin? And I have some un, you know some people teach that if you have unconfessed sin, then okay, that's going to be the, the the trigger that takes you away from God's family. There's so many things that are being taught out there that saying, you know, you've got to do so much of this and you've got to do so much of that, and it's dependent on what you do. Do you realize the great burden that's lifted off of you in your heart? Do you realize how depressed some people are probably even Christians are because they're not sure they've done enough, they've offered the right prayer, they've made the right confession? Do you realize the great burden, the great freedom? Okay, all right, so you you got all that. And you start maybe to see then how Paul, though, writing to this church here at Rome, he's saying... Your salvation is secure. Go back through all this stuff that I've been talking about. Romans 8 and so forth. Uh, and, and election taught in Romans 9. But then when you get over here, he says, don't discount what belief can do for you. Just because, just because we're saved, redeemed, don't continue in, in, in sin that grace may abound. All these things that he's been talking about. He says... My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved. Why? Because this knowing what God has done for you does something for you. And he says, okay, boy, all of this. I've got 20 minutes there. Now we'll get to Romans 11, right? I say then, hath God cast away his people, these people that are a gainsaying, disobedient, gainsaying people, hath God cast away his people, uh, hath God cast away his people, God forbid, for I am also an Israelite. Paul says, if you need any evidence that God hasn't cast away the Israelites, I'm an Israelite. Uh, if God, if you want to need evidence that God has not cast away his people, Israel, uh, <clears throat> Here, I'm, a, I'm an Israelite, and I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle. So, uh, you know, if you, just, if you find one thing that's the exception to the rule, then the rule goes away, right? Because <laughs> I found the exception. Uh, Paul says, I'm the exception. He says, I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What or what know ye not that the, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Uh, Elijah, if you, if, the, if you want to go back and read the reference on this scripture, Elijah, you know, had been uh, uh, living out uh, uh, during the time of famine. Uh, had lived down by the creek side, had lived with the widow whose cruise of oil and barrel of meal didn't fail for three and a half years while God brought famine to the nation of Israel. Uh, and now when, when Elijah does show back up, uh, he has this great contest with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. And, the, you know, he's taunting them and telling them, hey, you know, let's build an altar and y'all call on your God and get him to call down fire on the altar and... Uh, they stood out there and they yelled and they called and they hollered and Elijah mocked them and made fun of them and said, well, maybe your God's gone to sleep or maybe he's off in a far country. And so finally, after all of that, Elijah goes out and calls on the one true and living God. And before he did, just to re- remind you of the story, he took barrels of water and poured it on the wood and such that the water, then, and they had a berm built around the, the area so that the water collected in the berm around where he poured it on the, the wooden altar. Then Elijah, after all of that, goes out there and calls upon the one true and living God 
fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar, and the Bible says it also lapped up the water that was gathered up around there. So God, uh, Elijah calls on the one true and living God. Now, after this, you know, how many of y'all have had times where you have just seen the greatness of God in your life personally, and you think, there's no way I will ever buckle and falter. And I, I just, God has been so good to me. I, I won't ever uh, get away from him again, right? Well, Elijah has been fed from a brook, by, by brook, by ravens. He's been fed in a widow's house where the, the barrel, and I've told this before, you know, I love to think the, the visual of this in my mind is, you know, is just more than I can express sometimes of how... Uh, Elijah would go in there every day and peek in the barrel, and there's more meal in there. And he'd get the barrel out and take the little oil, you know, and the widow would make some make them some bread, and there'd be no meal left. Then tomorrow they'd come back and they'd open the barrel up. There's meal in the barrel, <laughs> and there's all in the cruise. God was just taking care of Elijah out there in just a miraculous way. Now he comes and he calls on this same God, and and God just you know burns up the altar, laps up the water. The prophets of Baal and the prophets of Grove are, are, are slain. But there's this woman named Jezebel who is the wife of the king and she threatens Elijah and Elijah runs off and hides in a cave and is so scared for his life because of this one woman. And he's like, didn't Elijah see the power of God? But you know, Elijah is us. God comes into our lives and God takes care of us and delivers us from pain and toil and agony and maybe puts food on our table like he did Elijah or whatever. And then suddenly some little something happens and we're like, oh, I'm scared I'm going to die tomorrow, you know. And, and, and Elijah goes off and hides in a cave, begins to cry and moan about how he's the only one left in the nation of Israel that's serving God. And God comes to him and says, they have killed, well, here's, here's a quotation, verse 3 in Romans 11. He says, Elijah, uh, God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. Know ye not, the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Now, that was, that was what he said in that cave when he's hiding, okay? But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved unto myself 7,000 men which have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, Paul says, at this present time, there is also a remnant according to the election of grace. God had a people that, had, that were faithful and obedient in Elijah's day that Elijah didn't know about. God had a people among the Israelites in Paul's day that were faithful and obedient and, and followers of Jesus Christ, even though Paul maybe didn't know, didn't know about them, and maybe the church at Rome didn't know about them. And he's teaching a principle here that God always has a people worshiping him and serving him, that he is reserved to himself, whether you and I know about it or not. And for us to sit around and say, oh, well, you know, and God bless some of our, our people, you know, that, uh, that uh, sometimes get, well, we're the only ones that's still contending for the, for the truth. Or we're the only ones, you know, 
God help any of us and all of us if we ever get into that mind and that thought because God has a people uh, and God calls a people. He can work just like he has in Elder Martin's life over there in, in Kenya uh, where Martin was a rebellious man living a, in a life that was not a godly life and God called him into the ministry, revealed to him the truth of the things about the word of grace and, and then began to work and to bring people into his life. God is able to do that just like he did at Paul, just like he did with Martin, just like he's done with others. And he probably has people around this world that know the truth of God's word that you and I know nothing about, will never know anything about, uh, that, that does not hinder us from going out and doing, be, doing evangelical work, going out and trying to spread the gospel because that's another commandment he gives us to do. Don't, don't lock in on one thing the way God works and ignore something else that God's calling on us to do in our community and in our neighbors and being out and letting the, the light of God shine forth. But don't be fooled into thinking that God's word is not going to get out unless you and I uh, do it either, okay? Don't don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into the trap of it won't go anywhere if I don't do it. And don't fall into the trap of, uh, you know, well, it's, uh, you know, the only way it's going to get out is if I, you know, whatever. Anyway, so don't, don't fall into the traps on both sides of the road of this thing. So Paul is writing to the, those folks here and says, Elijah had to learn in his day that God has a remnant according to his electing grace. I'll tell you, I, I, this is one of those things, I think the principle of election, uh, as taught in Romans 9, where he talks about these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Uh, there's a principle of God electing people, not according to their works, but before they were ever born into this old world, God had an election that had been made, a choice had been made, uh, a people had been chosen that were going to be his chosen people, Okay. But there's also a principle here that appears to be taught that even among those people, God has reserved and elected a people to see His word. Okay, now take, don't don't. I'm not sitting here saying because I don't think that's what Paul is saying that it's not possible for all of God's elect children come and see the truth of God's word. I'm just saying there appears to be a principle being taught here that God's going to reserve a people in truth. Whether, whether you and I know about it or don't know about it, there's going to be a people here until Christ comes back again. There's going to be a faithful group of people here worshiping him, okay? But he wouldn't be making all this plea. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is they might be saved, come to a knowledge of the truth and so forth. He wouldn't be making this whole plea if it wasn't possible for this to happen, okay? All of that said... You got to stay. You got to stay with what he's teaching here, too. Okay. So he says, even so, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, it's no more works. It's not what they've worked and earned to get it. Uh, he said, otherwise, grace is no more grace. There's a principle taught here by the apostle Paul that uh, you, I've heard people say, "Well, race, grace and works don't go together." Well, that's not really true. Uh, because we're saved by His grace and we're called upon to work, okay? But what what it is trying to teach here is, 
you can, it's not like grace does part of it and your works has to do the rest of it. And I'm talking about for your eternal salvation. Grace took care of the whole work. All right. And he says, there's a principle here that if by grace, it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. Uh, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So there, there is a, a, a principle here also being taught that God does things by his grace. Now, there's a word, there's many, there's several words uh, translated into, uh, into grace, uh, but I'll, I'll give you at least one of them. One of them is the word charis, uh, the Greek word charis, which from which we get today, charity. Uh, grace for me and you is charity. Uh, and you know what true charity is? Uh, one, there's nothing you can repay. There's nothing you have that can rep- that you can repay. Uh, so pure charity is a gift to you that you cannot repay and you cannot give back. So he, he's telling us here, this grace, there's no works involved in this. Uh, and if it was, then it wouldn't be grace anymore. Uh, and if it was all, he said, if it was, it would be no more work. Work wouldn't be work if there was grace involved in it and so forth. So he says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which it seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Now, here's where he begins to talk about the plight of the nation Israel, even up until this present time to some extent, okay? Uh, God loved Israel. There's no doubt in my mind about it. God's blessings upon Israel, upon the nation Israel, upon the tribes of Israel, giving them a land, giving Jacob and the, and the 12, 12 tribes of Israel, giving that land to their family uh, because Abraham had been his friend and Abraham had believed God and God gave Abraham that land and he gave it to the descendants of Abraham. Israel has a special place, I think, in the heart of God. All right? <clears throat> but... Israel also was a rebellious and gainsaying people that rejected God and turned after other idols, okay? And because of that, God punished them. Not only that, maybe I should add this to that. They chased after idols. They rebelled against God. They were gainsaying people. They killed his prophets, and ultimately, they killed his son. Now... I don't want to get into some semantics here with you, but I do want you to understand this as well. Uh, nobody killed Christ. Okay? In the, ulti- in the ultimate sense, no man was capable of taking his life. That's the reason the Bible says he gave up the ghost on the cross and <clears throat> all the beating and physical beating that he took, all he really had, you know, all he really had to do, in a sense, was just speak the word. His body would have been healed, just like he had healed a thousand other people or thousands of other people. His body would have been healed. He could have come down off the cross, all those things. He had that power within him. But the punishment that was laid on him as he led to, went to the cross was the punishment you and I deserved. His blood was shed, and ultimately... In order for him to die, he had to physically, however you do, however you would do that. I, you know, he gave up his own life. Otherwise, but now, now on the other side of things, there are the Israelites. There's the high priest 
coming with the Roman soldiers. They paid Judas the money to come to find out where he was. And the high priest came and got him and took him away. Uh, and the reason the high priest did it was because the Roman soldiers, while they, and the Roman soldiers came with them, it was the high priest that were bringing charge against him. All right, it wasn't the Roman country. You go back and look at Pilate and all those people. They said, "We don't find anything wrong with this guy. We'll turn him loose." But the high priest and the people of Israel would not consent to it. Okay, so when we say they killed him, uh, you know. I, you know, I've come to, to know this, I guess, in recent months and whatever. Some of the, I'll just say, some of the people I've been hanging around. It, but, but you, but you know, do you know that people have said for years that many of the reasons that Christian religions hated the Jews supposedly was because they say they killed Jesus. Can you imagine that kind of thinking? They've gotten away from the Word of God. Okay, and so there's an animosity against the Jews because this anti-Semitism or whatever other word you want to put on it. These There's an animosity against the Jews because supposedly the Christian nation has accused them of killing Jesus. Well, foolishness, uh, my friends, to say that they killed him. Yes, they were there. Yes, they led him away. But I'll tell you, they didn't have the power to kill him. Okay? So, all right. So he comes in here and says, What then? Verse 7. Israel hath not obtained that which it seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. The rest were blinded. Why were the children of Israel blinded? Because they killed his son, they killed his prophets, and they chased, they chased after uh, uh, idol gods and false gods. And God punished them, uh, not only with the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, but there was a blinding to the truth that took place among the nation Israel. You can't say it's a blanket because the election hath obtained it. Uh, there's a group of people that were blessed to come to see the truth. People like Paul, people like Peter, people like many of the Jews that were scattered throughout the churches that we find in the book of Acts uh, across the various countries that were there that we studied on a Wednesday night. There were believing Jews that came to see the truth and were blessed to, to receive the truth. But in general... In general, they, re they rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah and they didn't get the benefit of the gospel. Now, let's, now with all that background I've given you, let's see what I can cover here in five minutes, okay? He says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which it seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. The rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they, they should not see and ears that they should not hear, Unto this day. The, the, the nation of Israel, there was a, if you want to say, I'll use my word, there was a curse in a sense, if that's what you want to placed upon them. God condemned them so that they, even though they had eyes to see and ears to hear, they could not see and they could not hear because that was part of their punishment for their long history of rebellion, their long history of chasing after idol gods and not serving God, and their long history of killing the prophets and ultimately killing the son. Part of the punishment was they were driven out of the land of Israel. The, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed and they were scattered throughout the nations and they were blinded to seeing the truth. Okay, and David, and David saith, 
Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. You can go and read that over in the 69th Psalm. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. God, they, they've stumbled at the stumbling stone. They stumbled at the chi- at the cornerstone. They tripped over it and missed the truth of what that cornerstone was intended to be. Uh, but he says, but uh, even though they have they've stumbled, have they stumbled that they, they should fall away or fall away from being the blessed family of God or part of the family of God? And he says, God forbid. But rather, through their fall. Salvation is coming to the Gentiles, and the salvation is come to the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy. There was a reason why God gave the, the gospel to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles believed it and followed it. The purpose of this was to really and truly provoke the Jews to being jealous of saying, they're following after our God. We can't have that. We need to be following after Jehovah's our God. We need to be, they're following after our God. And, 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 and to try to stir them up, you know, it's kind of, I, I hate to say it, you know, you use weird examples, but it's like, you know, you give, you, you give kids a toy, you give one toy, and the other kid gets jealous because they got the toy that they wanted, you know, and so forth. Well, that's kind of the way God, God is with the, has done with the gospel. He gave it to us. Part of the reason he gave it to the Gentiles was to actually stir up the nation Israel to jealousy, to say, wait a minute, they can't have, they can't have our toy. The, the gospel is supposed to be our toy, and uh, he's our God. And, and, uh, and so he says, now if the fall of them, the Jews, be the riches of the world, would you, can you not truly say, and I mean, really, if we look around the world today, hasn't the gospel been a blessing to the entire world. Can you imagine if it was still just in that little nation Israel over there and they were enjoying that and nobody and it wasn't going out from there? Look at how the world has been blessed because of the gospel message going out across the world. Have we done all that we should do with it? No. Have we done all that we could do with it? No. Is it being the salt and the light of the world that it should be today in all the places that it should be? No. <clears throat> But has it been a blessing for the world to know that there's a one creator, the Jehovah God, uh, that reigns? Has that not been a blessing? Amen, right? So he says, now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? What, what if... The Jews, which Paul has been pleading with here for two chapters, what if they actually confessed and believed? He said, wouldn't their fullness along with the fullness be like a, a, a triple blessing to the world to see them blessed and the, and the Gentiles blessed too? He said, for I speak to you Gentiles, and as much I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office, if by means I may provoke to emulation... At emulate, you know what emulation is, to imitate somebody, to emulate, look up, follow somebody else. He says, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Can you imagine today? And, and it's going to happen, by the way. I'm just telling you, it's going to happen. There's going to be a time when the Jews turn back. I'm not t- Again, I'm not going to say every single person, but in general, there's going to be a time when they're going to come to see 
that Jesus Christ really was the Messiah. They're going to come to see that. And he says, you know, what, can, what, would, it, what would it be like for us to see them suddenly come to believe? Wouldn't that be thrilling to the, to the Christian peoples of the world today? He says, for the casting away them be the reconciled world. What shall the receiving of them be? But it's like life from the dead. Suddenly it'd be like those that were, that were dead have suddenly, come, have suddenly come to life again. They sprang to life. And so he said, for if the first fruit be holy, <clears throat> if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And I'm just going to stop right there. Because if I go further, then there's not a stopping place for me to go forward to. But he said, if the root's holy, he said, the branch does not support the root. The root supports the branch. The root is the holy part. The root is Jesus Christ. The branches are sustained by that life-giving root. Now, so, we'll talk about wild olive branches and natural olive branches as we go forward. But with with what we've kind of set up for you here in looking at this, you can begin to see the natural olive branches that are cut off are not cast off forever. He's already told us that. But he says, but they're missing out on something. Being cut off from the root, you miss out on something that you would have if you were connected to the root. And you're not able to bear fruit like you would if you're connected to the root. And you begin to see this whole picture coming to play here, what's taking place in Romans 8, 9, 10, 11. And, and, he's, and he's pleading to the children of Israel, Come to see this great Savior that we've had that finally has come our way. It'll be a blessing to you in your life. And I say it's been a blessing to us in our life, and we have received the benefit of that and the comfort and the joy of just knowing that our Savior lives and that he died for us. What a blessing we have. May God bless you. It's our prayer.